This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. Well, good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Oh, it is so nice. Did anybody uh, go to Viking Fest last, last, yesterday? Two people? All right. So good. So some of our youth went, some people, I see some hands. Uh, some of you made it to Viking Fest. We did not, sadly, um, this year. I was kind of bummed, but uh, got to work around the house, do some, some house chores. Everybody, you know what I'm talking about there, right? Just trying to get it done. And so working around the house, I was able to work outside for a bit because it was just... The sun has come, and I just like, that does my heart well. Like, people have asked, like, so they'll ask, like, Mario, how are you doing? And it's like, well, I just need to look outside, and I'll let you know. Like, if it's a sunny day, I've got my vitamin D, I'm good to go. Like, let's take on the world if that's the case. But uh, it's just nice that it's here. So I was outside doing some, some housework, but um, recently I, I, there was a culmination of a project, and it was, it was this guy right here, this... Um, monstrosity is, uh, is my sink underneath, underneath our kitchen sink. And I know you're looking at it going like, that doesn't look all that spectacular. And you're right, it doesn't. And, and that's what makes the story even so, so crazier is that it was just, just a normal sink situation. That um, there was a point where my, my sink ended up getting clogged. One of them, the downspouts got clogged. And so um, I went in and went underneath. I have a little bit of training in, in, in plumbing, and I won't let you know which plumbing company I was with because they would disown me if I told, after telling the story. But uh, I went underneath and um, got the P-trap out, cleaned it out put it back together, and I put the whole, assembled the whole thing back together and thought I was good to go. Turn on the water, and water starts slowly trickling out the pipe. I'm just like, oh man, I'm not going to fix that today. So I just left it. And so I left it for a few days, and I thought, you know, I should probably go and fix the situation. So I go back under, and I put in these gaskets to try to somehow make it work, but it wasn't working. And so I just ignored the situation. And then uh, finally, um, it continued to leak, and I thought, well, I should probably do something about it. So I got underneath, and since my other fixes weren't working, I just went and grabbed some of that pipe cement stuff, and I just took it and I just cemented, like put glue all around the inside and the outside, and I stuck that baby together, and problem was solved. No more leaks, which was just awesome. Uh, Until like months later when the pipe got clogged again on the inside. And the problem was, is I couldn't take apart the pieces anymore because I glued them shut. <laughs> so I'm sitting there looking like, what am I going to do now? So I'm underneath the, the sink, literally like sawing away at the pipe to get the pipe out. And I saw it out and I get it out. And so I finally go and I get some, part, some parts to go fix it. And I get some parts and I, I put them together, start to assemble the whole thing. And as I put the whole thing together and put it in, I'm like, this is great, except for it's not quite fitting. The joints, I got the wrong joint sizes, so it wasn't fitting all together. And I just thought, forget it. And I just left it for a while. I mean, the leak wasn't that bad. Just, just want to kind of clarify, the leak wasn't that bad. It was just sort of a trickle every once in a while. 
And if you're thinking like, Mario, I'm never buying your house. I mean, your cabinets must be horrible if that's the case. I just want to let you know, um, Trader Joe's makes this great um, detergent powder in a cardboard box. It's great at soaking up leaks. And it just did that while it was down there. So let's, you know, it wasn't a bad situation underneath, but there was this leak that was going on. And, and so time had passed. And I thought like, man, I, I, I should probably do something. My conscience was getting to me thinking, I should probably do something about this leak. And so I get underneath. And since there was a gap, like it was, things weren't kind of meeting, I thought, flex tape. And so I went out. I mean, the guy on TV, he's putting boats together with flex tape. I'm thinking, this has got to work. So I went out and ordered the flex tape, and I put, I put it on, and I put it towards the joints. I'm thinking, this baby should work. And I turn on the water, water's still coming out. And so, of course, what do you think I did, right? Just forget about it, right? No, I actually went, and I got the right pieces, and I put it together, and this beautiful thing is the result. It's finally done after... Two years. Huzzah. Huzzah. Two years of time passed. I mean, I just said the story in like two minutes, three minutes, but that's two years worth of work right there, just to let you know. It's, it's, uh, it's quite amazing. And you, you laugh, but, but for some of us, I mean, some of the, the patterns that we might find ourselves in, I mean, sure, there's this pattern of like doing and then ignoring and then coming back to it again and kind of press and repeat. Some of us have patterns in our lives too, don't we? I mean, we have patterns where we might relate with people in a certain way, and the way that we get in conversation, it may not all, go well at all, but we continue to endure in that pattern even though it's not effective. And for some of us, we're caught in patterns of addiction that we find ourselves caught in over and over and over again. Patterns are a part of our life. We find them happening. And you know, two years, that might seem like a long time when we're talking about plumbing, but can you imagine 270 years of going through the same cycle over and over again? You see, that's where the Israelites found themselves in their relationship with God. You see, I'm not just talking about plumbing this morning, I'm, as much fun as that would be. What, what, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm entering us back into a series that called uh, Don't Judge Me, where we're looking at the book of Judges and these, these men and these women that were, that were these judges at the time. Judges is, is a book that is filled full of this cycle that ends on happening over and over again. Judges is this book where these people would be raised up as, as judges. Judges is really, you could take out the word judge and put in the word leader, and that's what we'll be talking about. There's these leaders that are a part of Israel. And what we see is we see this, a similar kind of cycle starting to take place in the book of Judges. And here it is, it's going to come up on the screen. It's, what happens is that Israel ends up committing a sin, or many sins, actually, not just one. It's actually quite a bit of sins that they find themselves in. And once they commit the sin, then God allows Israel to be oppressed by the nations that are around them. They are in a particular place. There are nations around them, and God allows those nations to start to come in and, and oppress the people. And then from there, Israel repents and cries out to God. They say, God, help us. We need your help. And then from there, God sends a judge to deliver Israel. And then Israel is faithful, but I love this caveat, and here's the issue. They're faithful as long as the judge is alive. But once the judge dies, the cycle starts all over again. 
If you're just joining us for the first time, um, you're joining us at the end of a series where we've been looking at these different judges, and we've been looking at the cycle take place over and over again, week in and week out, in the lives of these people in, in the book of Judges. Um, but if you're joining us for the first time, you're, you're joining us at the very end of this series where we look at one last judge. He isn't the last one, but we're looking at just one more judge because his name is found in the book of Hebrews as one of the heroes of the faith. And so we just thought, why not take a look at this guy? And as we find there's his story embedded in this whole cycle, what we come to realize is if you look at the, the end of the book of Judges, and I think this is worth mentioning again, because it has such a poignant way of ending it. In Judges verses 21, verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 25, it says this, In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. That's the summary of the book of Judges. In those days, Israel, they didn't have a king. And so everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Does that sound a little bit familiar today? If you're wondering how this thing called the Bible relates to today, this is it. We're very much living in this time in this era where it seems as if there is no king. Everybody thinks doing what they want is the right way to go. Everybody does what's right in their own eyes. And so it seems important for us to come and take a look at the scriptures and understand, is there something we can take away from the scriptures that we can apply to our lives, given that they were living in the same kind of situation that we find ourselves living in now? And as we look at the story today, uh, we look at a person that's really, his story is really not as familiar to many of us. In fact, this might be the first time that you've heard his story. It's one that's embedded amongst amongst all the other famous judges. And so it seems important that that today that we kind of slowly unpack his story and understand what's going on in this story. And it starts by picking up with the same cycle that's going on. It's a cycle in which these people have found themselves uh, sinning once again. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Judges chapter 10 if you want to turn there. Judges chapter 10. Uh, We're going to start in verse 6. And this is what we read. It says again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Here we are at the beginning of the cycle, right? They served the images of Baal and Ashtoreth and the gods of Aram, Sidon, Moab, Ammon, and Philistia. They abandoned, hear these words, they abandoned the Lord and no longer served him at all. We're making our way around the cycle. So the Lord burned with anger against Israel and he turned them over to the Philistines and the Ammonites. And what we start to see, if you continue to read the stories, what you see is that they were oppressed for 18 years. You think two years was long. They were oppressed for 18 years and were attacked by multiple countries. And so in their distress, they called out to God for help. They, they conf- and confess that they had sinned. But what I find really interesting, and one of the things I want us to note, is the Lord's answer when they called out to him. So remember, we have the cycle. But what happens is the Lord responds to him. And this is what he has to say when they called out to him. It says that the Lord said in verse 11, the Lord replied, did I not rescue you from the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites, and the Maonites? When they oppressed you, you cried out for help. And I rescued you. Yet you have abandoned me, and now you serve other gods. And so here's what the God says. So I'm not going to rescue you anymore. Go and cry to the gods that you have chosen. Let them rescue you in your hour of distress. Like, what kind of response is that from God? Can God even say stuff like that? I mean, that's that's not like God talk. 
and yet God says it. I mean, God's supposed to be the God that loves, loves, loves. You know, the kind and cute and cuddly God who, who just steps in every situation and bring, makes everything well. That's often how we see God. So how do we square up that version of God with the God that we see here represented here? What do we do with that? You see, that picture of God doesn't fit really well with this kind of God. If we only believe of God as grace, God only as mercy, then we're missing out who he is on who he fully is. I appreciate the author, this author's name is John, and when he was writing, he was helping understand what was taking place when God entered into human history on a specific moment. And what he says about this moment, speaking of Jesus, who is God, it says, the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace. And would you say this with me? Full of grace and truth. He didn't just come with grace. He didn't just come with love in the way that we think about it. He came with a fullness of love that has both grace, grace and truth connected to it. Vast the fullness of love. We have to redefine that. You see, yes, our God is merciful, but he's also a God of strength, of justice, and of truth. And so in this moment, this odd moment in which God responds, he's calling out the Israelites' bluff. In the same way that you do, you call out your kid's bluff. In the same way that you call out your friend's bluff. When you know that they're saying sorry only because they've been caught, not because they're sorrowful because of what they have done. And so his response to them is like, no, we're not playing that game anymore. We've already done this nine times, people. We've done it. You like the other gods? You want to serve the other gods? Go to them. Let them save you. And so before we even move on in the story, we have to pause and start to ask the question, how often do we come to the Lord only when we need something from him, but have no intention of following him afterwards? How often is that our way of being with God? You see, one author suggests that honesty with God would actually be our best course of action. Let's just be honest about the whole thing. He, he somewhat jokingly says it this way. He says, so often we don't really want forgiveness. We just want to get out of trouble. If that's the case, it would be better to simply pray like this. Dear God, I've sinned yesterday, I've sinned today, and I'm planning to go out and do the same sin tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, I mean that's really, I mean, let's just get to the point. Let's be honest about it. Because that's sometimes the way our heart is oriented, right? But God knew that this is where their hearts were at. And so he's saying, no, we're not going to do this. I'm not going down this road. He knew where their hearts were at. And he calls them out on it. But then the people recognize this is what God is up to. And so this is what the scripture says in in verse 15. It says, but the Israelites pleaded to the Lord and said, we have sinned. Punish us as you see fit. Only rescue us from our enemies. And then the Israelites, and here's the phrase, listen to this, the Israelites put aside their foreign gods, and then they served the Lord. And he was grieved by their misery. I want you to note that it was only after they put aside their foreign gods that God was moved to help them. You see, this isn't an issue of love with God. It wasn't like God is saying, like, I'm going to withhold my love until you put away these idols. No, what God is saying, because I love you so much, I'm not going to help you continue to serve these idols. You're actually at your best when you're not serving those idols and you're serving me. So I'm going to do what it takes that you would move in a direction towards me. 
In their hearts, they started to get it. Their hearts were changed. And as they turned to the Lord, the Lord was grieved and he moved towards them. And as he did, the people recognized it and they said, great, let's go to battle. Let's get all of these other nations out. Let's do this thing. There was a king, the king of Ammon was one of the primary culprits in that area. And they said to the people, hey, whoever wants to go out and go attack the the, the Ammonites, we will make you the leader. We'll make you judge. No one steps forward. Like crickets, like, I'm not doing it. Who are you? Nope, nope. And so it's at this moment that the story starts to unfold and enters a man named Jephthah. Jephthah. And look at that word. Can I tell you, it's a hard word to say, but it is the most ridiculous word to spell. I, can, I type this up. Now, I'm going to be saying the word Jephthah, and I usually like script out my stuff. So you don't know how many times I'm, I spelled Jephthah and I misspelled it wrong every single time. It was such an annoying process. I mean, how many H's are, okay, I'll digress. I mean, like, come on. So Jephthah is in this spot, and Jephthah enters the scene. And we get a backstory on Jephthah. Jephthah, his, his situation is a little bit unique because Jephthah, he's born in a family, but he's not born in the same way that the other brother, I mean, he's born in the same way, but, but he's not born from the same mother. You see, these other guys, they, they are considered legitimate children that are born in the family, but Jephthah, he was born from a prostitute. And so as they all start to grow up together and inheritances are starting to be figured out who's going to get what, the brothers say, Jephthah, you are no part of us. Get away from us. And so they kick Jephthah out. And in fact, because of his situation, because of who he was born by, the, Gileads, the, Gilead, the Gilead people actually kicked him out of the town. They said, you cannot be here. And so Jephthah pieces out and he heads to a land called Tob. And while he is there, I love what the scripture says. It says that these these guys started to gather around him. It says that these worthless rebels started to follow him. So here's Jephthah, an outcast of his society. Somebody's on the outskirts of life. He doesn't seem to fit in. And he heads from that place and he goes to the place of Tob. And all of these rebels, these people who are on the outsider started to join him. And I wonder, as you hear that, who is it that you think of when when you hear something like that? I mean... You might be thinking like Jesus would be an answer, a good Bible answer. But, but really, this is the person that came to mind for, for many of the scholars. It's, it's this guy. See if it's going to come. Yeah. I mean, is there any other Robin Hood besides this guy right here? Kevin Costner is the ultimate Robin Hood. Can I get it? No, I don't know. I need an amen on that. But I'm just saying. Every time I see the picture, I just automatically think of Brian Adams' song, Look into my eyes. Do, 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 do. You know, it's like that, that, that movie was just so epic. This is what it was like for Jephthah. He was on the outside. He was in the outskirts. And he had these guys that were surrounding him. And they were just like some rough and tumble guys. Like you just didn't mess with these guys. That was Jephthah. And that was the life he was living. And so the people who were in Israel who needed a champion, they went and found them. They went to Tob. And they said, hey, come help us. We need you. And Jephthah has a response that's worth looking at. If you still happen to be in your Bible, you can feel free to look on down to Judges chapter 11 is what we're in in verse 7. This is what it says. Jephthah said to them, wait a minute. Aren't you the ones who hated me and drove me from my father's house? Why did you come to me now that you're in trouble? And they said, well, because we need you is what they replied. 
And you see, Jephthah at this moment, he has them right where he wants them, doesn't he? I mean, he was the guy who was kicked out of his house. He was kicked out of the village. These were the people of God, and he, was, he had no place with them. And he has them now right where he wants them. You see, Jephthah in this moment, he could have done what so many people find themselves doing. He could have popped online in that moment and tweeted it up. He could have did one of these right here. Yeah. I was hurt by God's people when I was young, and now they want me back? Forget about it. I'm heading back to Tobe. Hashtag done with believers. He could have done that, right? And then to be honest, uh, we would get that. He could have taken his guys and said, peace, like we're going back, we're doing our thing. And it would have made so much sense at some level. You see, so many of us find ourselves in that place where we've been hurt in some situation. People we know all around us have been hurt in a certain circumstance and situation, and they end up just moving away from the people of God. But there's something about Jephthah that we need to look at and recognize because he didn't do that. You see, in the moment where he had them right where he wanted them, where he kind of just could have stuck it to them, instead of sticking it to them, he chose to risk on relationship. He chose to lean into his community, and he used the gifts that God had given him to help out his tribe when they were in need. You see, instead of walking away, he chose to walk towards. See, the question that Jephthah causes us to wrestle with is this. What will we do when our Christian brothers and sisters hurt us? And you might notice that the question says, it doesn't say if, but it says when. Because if you are a follower of Jesus, and you are around people who are followers of Jesus, you will be hurt by followers of Jesus. Do you know that's going to happen? You're going to be hurt by the church, the institution, the church at some point along the way. Because the deal is this. None of us are perfect. And so we will step on each other's toes. We will hurt each other at some point. Something is going to happen. So the question is, how will you respond in those moments? Will you walk away or will you lean in? You know, what I love in our different discipleship groups, one of the things that we, we talk about these guidelines, and one of them is, is that when conflict comes, we're going to choose to step into the conflict and work it out together because that's what the people of God do. We learn what it means to bear with one another's burdens. We learn to give grace to one another when we mess up. We fight for relationship as a way that we talk about it because we know that relationships are hard. We know that we get hurt at times, but there's a need to lean in, not walk away. And that's what Jephthah did. And so Jephthah accepts the assignment. He says, I'll step forward. I'll do it. And as he does, he finds himself in a spot where he's thrust in the front. And he starts to have a conversation with the king, the other king of, king of Ammon. And they're going with this back and forth about whose land it is and whose it's not. And bottom line is, none of them agreed who it was. And so negotiations ended. And so Jephthah said, well, I guess we're going to war. And so the Spirit of God came on Jephthah. And when he did, Jephthah went out and he started to rally all the troops around them. People were coming from all out of the woodwork to join Jephthah in, in this moment. And this is the moment, as this takes place, as the people are gathering around them, it's what takes place next that Jephthah is most known for. It's this moment that we see start to arise. This is what happens with Jephthah. It says, And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give you to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. 
I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Kind of strange, but okay. And so, after uttering that vow, he rallies the troops and he heads out to battle. And as he does, it's interesting because if you read it, there's no epic tale of what takes place. We saw with Gideon, like, all these things. He's doing this and that. And there's just such this, this beautiful outline of epic tale of what Gideon does. In Jephthah's story, it's basically like this. Jephthah went out. He wrecked shop. War was over. Israelites won. The end. Cool. And then he makes his way back home because that's where the focus starts to come. Because when he makes his way back home, he comes home after this amazing victory. And as he does, out of all the people, who else will come out of his house but his one and only daughter with a tambourine in hand coming to celebrate the victory of Jephthah? The story is so beautifully written and yet so heartbreaking that it's a story that I felt like I couldn't even tell. I feel like the scripture has to be the one to tell this. And so we're just going to read. We're just going to listen to it. This is what it says in Judges chapter 35 through 40, chapter, chapter 11, verses 35 through 40. It says, when he saw her, his daughter, he tore his clothes in anguish, and he said, oh, my daughter, he cried out, you have completely destroyed me. You've brought disaster on me, for I have made a vow to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. And she said, Father, if you have made a vow to the Lord, you must do to me what you have vowed. For the Lord has given you a great victory over your enemies, the Ammonites. But first, let me do this one thing. Let me go up and roam in the hills and weep with my friends for two months, because I will die a virgin. You may go, Jephthah said. And he sent her away for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never have children. When she returned home, her father kept the vow he had made, and she died a virgin. So it has become a custom in Israel for a young Israelite woman to go away for four days each year to lament the fate of Jephthah's daughter. See, the story moves from strange to heartbreaking. Now, to be clear, there are many different ways that this whole idea of Jephthah keeping his vow are played out. Some people say that he indeed ended up sacrificing her on the altar and that he did indeed killed her. Others would say that his vow to the Lord that he kept was, a, was having her serve in the temple for the rest of her life, which means if she was doing that, she wouldn't have children. Either way, it would be a tragic situation for her because she would be barren which was a tragedy that's in the nation of Israel. Whichever way you lean on the discussion, whichever way you go, and there's good, there's good evidence for both, the larger discussion is this. Why even make the vow in the first place? Like, why do it? Well, what seems clear is that Jephthah's goal was to make sure that the battle was won, and so he made a deal with God. And I think that's worth noting because it seems like in moments of great distress, we have a tendency to bargain with God, don't we? <laughs> when was the last time you told God that if he answered prayer in a certain way, you would offer something in return? We can all find ourselves in that place sometimes, can't we? Maybe right now you're in a dire situation. 
Maybe you're facing a life-threatening illness or a financial crisis or great personal loss, and you're willing to do anything to have God solve the issue. And if that's where you're at, I want to let you know that feeling, that desire to do anything, that's understandable. That makes sense. But in the midst of willing to make this promise, the other question that we have to ask is this. If God chooses not to do this, will I still love and follow him? If God doesn't answer this the way that I want him to, will I still choose to serve him? That's a question that I've been wrestling with a lot lately. As Tom talked about that movie, it just wrecked me. That Insanity of God movie just challenged the question, is Jesus worthy of it all? Is he worth it? Even when things don't go the way that they're supposed to, will we still choose to serve and follow him? You see, it's in these moments, if you're not in it, then this is the moment that you have to make that decision because there are going to be hard times that come your way. And if you are in it, will you be willing to say, God, regardless of the outcome, that instead of making rash bargains with God in those moments, determine now to submit your life to his. You see, what we see in that story is we see a daughter that was willing to submit her will to her father's, as tragic as it was going to be. But she wouldn't be the last person to do that. We see Jesus do the same thing with his father, don't we? And those words that echo throughout, he says, when Jesus went on a little farther, he bowed his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, what does he say? Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. That's the heartbeat of a person whose life is given to God in every area. And that is really the prayers that we would have our hearts and our lives in that direction so that God can do what it is he wants to do in us and through us, that even if it doesn't work out, that we say, God, I've chosen to follow you. You've been too good to me all along. I choose you. And so that's the story of Jephthah. Well, there's more to it but I can't really unpack it all. There's just not enough time to know that he ended up leading for six years as a judge after that all took place. But as it goes, the story continued, the cycle, and cycled throughout Judges. But in Jephthah's story, there's some things that stand out for us this morning for us to consider. His story teaches us and challenges us and calls us with a few things. One of them is this, to stop paying lip service and instead to choose a repentant heart, to have repentant actions go along with that. To lean in towards community when we're hurt instead of running away from it. This calling in this story is to make a decision to choose to trust God, even when things don't seem like they're working out the way that we hoped. You see, that's the heartbeat that we got to have as a people. Because in these days, it's as if there is no king. And everybody is doing what's right in their own eyes. The land around us continues to get darker. How will we choose to respond in the midst of it all? That's the story that will be worth telling when we say yes to him in every area. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come before you this morning offering ourselves to you, thanking you for the men and the women that have gone before us to show us what it looks like to live and to show us the things we need to avoid. 
Lord, I pray for any of my friends here online that find themselves in a spot where our relationship with you is one of simply bargains that we go back and forth with you with, that we only say yes to you as long as we, we can get something out of it, that we only say yes to you to get out of trouble, but not because we want a relationship with you. For some of us, Lord, we're saying we're done with that lifestyle, and today I choose to mature my relationship with you and to say even if. God, some of us are in that spot where we've been thinking, I think I'm done with the church. There's so much corruption. There's so many things that seem to go wrong with it. The people there, they're imperfect. And yet, Lord, we hear you calling us not to lean away, but instead to lean in and fight for relationship. I pray that you would raise that up amongst your people today. And Lord, for those of us that are going through difficult moments, I know that they're all around us, sitting here among us for those online that are going through some difficult moments. I'm asking, Lord, would you show up? Would you intervene? Would you restore? Would you heal? Would you take care of the brokenness that sits inside of our hearts? I ask. And yet, in the midst of all of that, Lord, we join Jesus in that prayer that says, yet not my will, but may yours be done. May that be the heartbeat of this faith community, I pray. Help us to live our lives in that way that you gain all the glory. Maybe some are saying that for the first time, no longer my will, I choose yours. As a faith community, Lord, we offer ourselves to you in Jesus' name. You are indeed the way maker. Amen. Amen. Let's worship him together this morning.
don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Never stop, you never stop working. Never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. Thank you, Lord, you never stop. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working.